This is the Gallinach Masters Cycling Podcast. I'm Norman Blissett, your host for the show. Gallinach Masters Cycling is a global community of 50 years and older cyclists who support each other to love life through riding our bikes. Each week we share inspiring stories from our riders around the world, showcase great places to ride our bikes and give tips to help you get fitter, healthier and more confident on the bike. Hello everyone, this is Norman Blissett, your host for the third Gallinac Master Cycling webcast and podcast. I'm delighted to be with you here again. And unfortunately, we don't have Chris Foggin. Coach Foggy is travelling around New Zealand at the moment, so unfortunately can't be with, with us. But I'm delighted to welcome Russ Coe from Fort Collins in the Colorado in the USA. Welcome, Russ. Hello. Thanks for having me, Norman. Hello, lovely. everyone. Yeah, lovely, lovely to have you here. I did, I did read before we started, Russ, that in 2018, Fort Collins was the best city for cycling in the USA. Well, uh, yeah, it's home to a lot of pro cyclers and a lot of enthusiasts. Mm. And uh, hopefully I can share a little bit more about that and some of the routes that I like and that are popular here. Okay, look look for look forward to that. So we are going to share some more inspiring stories. We're particularly going to hear from Russ at this evening about cycling in Fort Collins and, and up in the Rockies as well. I've heard some of your stories are absolutely fabulous. So I'm looking forward to hearing more about that. We're going to share some coaching tips at showcase great places to ride. You probably guess accurately who we're going to showcase uh, tonight. And we're going to nominate our rider of the week. And Russ is going to do that a little bit later on for us. So Russ, what have you been up to over the last week on the bike? Yeah, so uh, a little bit lighter for me. I'm tr- In the winter, I try to do 100 miles a week. I did about 50 last week, uh, but then I went to the mountains for four or five days. A little bit of ice up there still, so I didn't take the bike, but did some hiking. And um, so, uh, but a, a good week. Um, the weather, uh, just quickly, um, you may or may or may not be aware of that uh, in in our area, northern Colorado, there's been about almost 500,000 acres burned of uh, fire. And a lot of that is in areas that I like to ride. So that's put a little damper. So I've been doing a yeah. little bit more on the trainer. And uh, with the trainer, of course, you do some more concentrated, uh, you know, cadence training, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So the snow is starting to appear. Yeah, the snow, uh, the snow's been good. It has helped to dampen the fires. Yeah. Uh, the smoke was bad, too, for breathing. Yeah, I can but, imagine. But uh, that's getting better. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, okay, well, I've, I've um, different sort of weather here. It's been, it's been really wet and windy um, over here, but I did get out over the, well, actually, on, on Friday, I, I was out with one of the youngsters that I ride with sometimes who, was very good we did we, we did a bit of a ride around completely drenched covered in mud when we got back it was a road ride and we were looked like we'd been out on a on a muddy mountain bike ride um then on saturday i went out with the with the my son's cycling club and the weather was awful it started pouring rain around the trails got completely drenched as well but it turned into a mud fest just mud everywhere and they were on, on their mountain bikes and i was on my cyclocross bike not even with <laughs> nobody tires i just had the 
slick tires on so I was all over the place luckily I managed to stay upright not quite sure how um, but I did get up even though I had tubeless I did get a puncture as well so luckily I was carrying an inner tube um, so that was my that was the excitement of my um, ride over the over, over the weekend um, okay so Russ uh, you um, uh, you're, you're obviously a pretty keen cyclist I can see that from your uh, from Strava and from what you're posting in in the group so t- tell us about cycling and and your life in cycling and what it means for you okay sure so um, uh, like many people I've seen in the group and this is a great group by the way Norman um, and I, I think it's fulfilling a great need um, because like many others, I got back into road cycling in my late 50s. I'm 60 now and got back into it about three or four years ago. And, uh, and, and I get encouraged and a little discouraged with some of the younger riders that I try to keep up with, but uh, also motivates me. And, uh, and they're all really nice people who are welcoming to you as well. And so I commuted on my bike for about eight or 10 years and an old mountain bike. And then about five years ago, my wife and I started to do some big hiking together. So I used the cycling as kind of a cross training for some of the hiking that we've done. And after we did Mount Kilimanjaro, which was one of our big hikes, I got a road bike. And uh, with that, um, I started riding uh, around the Fort Collins area which is a nice area because we're on the edge of the plains. So if you look out one window, you see all the way out to Kansas flat and you look the other way, you see the foothills to the Rockies. I can get to the foothills in 10 miles and then I'm going up and then I can get into the Rockies if I go out another, you know, 20, 30 miles. And uh, just so um, it's been a good, uh, I think a lot of people, uh, it's been a good therapy, <laughs> and uh, it's been good for the health. Uh, I've taken off some pounds. I'm not a large person, but uh, I'm down to about 150 pounds, and there was a point I was at 190 pounds. Yeah. And uh, uh, so uh, it's been really great for the health and the mental health as well. And um, I'm, a, uh, I'm a musician, amateur musician. I play the flute. And uh, so I like to do things to keep my wind. And uh, so the breathing, uh, I'm always working on the breathing uh, in the writing. And, uh, you know, it just uh, gives me something. Uh, excuse me, I have a call coming in. I'm going to decline. Sorry about that. That's okay. And uh, so, uh, yeah, it just keeps me alert and happy. And the kids, my kids are gone now uh, out of the house. So, uh, I, you know, my wife and I are just enjoying life. Fabulous, fabulous. So, what what was it that that drew you back into to cycling? Then, what because you said you, you you commuted on a on a mountain bike. So, what 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 was the driving force then to move from yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> well, um, on the surface, I don't consider myself competitive, uh, and I think there was a thread on this on the group, but uh, on commuting on the bike path, I was commuting about 10 miles. Um, whenever anyone passed me, I didn't like it. <laughs> so I got pretty fast on the mountain bike, but uh, I decided I, I wanted to really just go fast, go faster. 
And uh, so always giving myself goals. So that that one little thing really motivated me. But uh, just to go back further, when I was a teen back in the 70s, a group of friends and I got road bikes and, and we started to get into it then. So Eddie Merckx was my hero. And uh, so um, uh, did that for about five or six years. And then college and kids and a casual ride here and there and just always longed for it. Uh, running isn't that interesting to me. Uh, the joints don't like running nowadays yeah, yeah. Uh, and some, some of the other sports. Uh, so, yeah, cycling has just been kind of my calling. You know, I think because I, I, I did, used to be a runner, a very, very keen runner, competitive runner, um, but I I think this is one of the main differences between running and cycling and why so many runners end up, and all, all my ex-running pals, not all of them, most of them are now cycling. Um, and it's just the body can't hack it anymore when you're used to a fairly yeah. high volume of, of running and uh, your, your, your body just can't deal with it in the same in the same way. And you just slow down so much. Whereas in cycling, yeah, you do you do slow down a bit when you get older, but the, the drop-off is nothing like running. So like you can, and I, you know, I do the same. I go out with younger guys and 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 can keep up with them, and you know, go fast on yeah. some of them as well. And it's fantastic to be able to do that when you're a bit older, isn't it? Great, yeah. great motivation. Still makes you feel like you've got got something to contribute. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree totally. Yeah, fantastic. And, and also listening to you about about the um, experience of cycling when when you were a kid. I mean, I, I was the same. I don't. I mean, we when I when I was I was brought up in Scotland, and I and I. It's a biggish village, small town, and we there was a gang of about a dozen or so of us, and we we didn't I didn't realise it at the time, but now we we did elimination races around the block, so we would yeah. do we'd all be on our bikes, not rope, just an assortment of bikes, and we just you know last one last one over the line each lap is out, and we used to do that all the time, do trips, riding about the place, and and there was something. It's, it's, and so many kids did that. And I think there was something, this is in the UK, I think it's the same for a lot of countries in the world, that, that they lost out in the in the 80s and 90s as cars took over. Road yeah. building was all around, building roads for cars. And, and some of the European countries are not other European countries like that. Um, but the UK is, is sadly, but it's great, it's great to see see it coming back. I think these things are instilled in us when we're, when we're kids. So it sounds like it was the same for you. And no helmets. No helmets. <laughs> No helmets, yeah. and I won't. Yeah. I won't get on the bike without a helmet. Well, that is, it's interesting because I saw that Foggy posted in the group about helmets, and and he's he's obviously a coach, very experienced cycling coach, and he's you know he's saying no, no bike, no ride. Um, and there is a from a safety point of view, is I I completely get that. It, there is another side to that though, and Chris Chris Boardman. I don't know if you've heard of Chris Boardman. He's a um, Olympic gold medalist on the individual pursuit I think it was in, in the track and world our record holder he, he was a yellow held a yellow jersey in the Tour de France so he's a yeah but he's he's a big cycling campaigner in the UK now very influential and he he's a strong advocate of only wear a helmet if you want to and on mm -hmm. on the basis that if you really want to encourage cycling uh, in people who are not like us, you know, we are we are dead enthusiastic cyclists. We we'll put on our helmets and our lycra, or you know, our yeah. kit or whatever, and that's that's great. But you know, most people don't want to get into that. Most people just want to go out and ride their bikes. And actually, putting on helmets and all the kit is a barrier to getting people on on the bikes. So you know, there's a there's a different view to it. But I think from our perspective, I I would never go out for a a road ride 
around here without having a helmet on. You know, absolutely. And I know so many people that have crashed off their bikes and their helmets have been in two pieces as well. Okay. Um, so, Russ, you're, you're obviously up near the Rockies um, and you get to cycle up in these fabulous, fabulous mountains. Tell, tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, sure. And, and, and just a quick note, um, I was having a little technical difficulty with my phone uh, with the power cord. I, I think it's kind of going out on me. If I blank out, I'll log in through my computer. Okay. okay. Just, I just got a little warning. That's fine. Um, I'll just, I, I'll just continue. I apologize that. for that, but yeah. So, um, so living, uh, on the foothills, uh, I worked my way up to doing the climbs and, uh, there is a great training climb right at the edge of Fort Collins called wrist Canyon. And for anyone out there who has followed the Everesting trend that's going on, the Everesting being where a rider will do hill repeats until they get 29,000 plus feet. And uh, the record now, I think, is just under seven hours for doing that. But Risk Canyon uh, has a eastern side, which is a 11-mile, 3,000-foot climb. And then down the west side of it is maybe 1,500 foot, but it's in just a few miles. <laughs> and, uh, and that's the side that Lachlan Morton did his Eversting record uh, in, I think, July, maybe midsummer. He actually did it twice in one week. And I don't know how he did that, <laughs> but uh, he did 42 repeats on this one incline. And uh, so um, that's, that's, the air, that's the hill that everyone trains here, the 3,000 foot climb uh, on the one side. So everyone's trying to get the best time uh, with that. Uh, so it's, it's a good training climb. Um, it's not far from there is the Rocky Mountain Park or Estes Park. And so um, I've done rides uh, out there and there's some great climbs there, Glen Haven, that get you up into the park, some uh, really steep zigzags, uh, switchbacks. And um, you might get to see some mountain goats uh, or some elk. Um, so some good wildlife viewing, uh, some good canyons uh, that we can go through as well. Um, so uh, those are um, some of the local rides that we do. Um, if, uh, uh, you want me to tell about the big ride I did this summer? Yeah. Tell us that I, you told me about that earlier and that was phenomenal. So yeah, I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah. So, so these rides I just talked about that are closer to where I live, I was doing those in training to do, uh, Mount Evans. Mount Evans is one of the 14,000 foot peaks in Colorado and uh, there are, it depends who you talk to, there's 52 or 54 official peaks over 14,000 feet. And um, there are two of those that have a road to the very top, Mount Evans and Pikes Peak. Uh, people are probably a little more familiar with Pikes yeah. Peak. Yeah, there's a bit, there's a running And uh, every summer they, I'm sorry? I was just saying there's a, there's a running race up and down Pikes Peak, isn't there? 
Okay. After that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, every summer uh, until this year, of course, they have organized rides or a race up both Mount Evans and Pikes Peak. Um, so uh, I decided um, that I wanted to do Mount Evans, uh, partly because this past, uh, a year ago in December, my wife and I climbed uh, Aconcagua, which is one of the seven summits, seven continental summits. It's in Argentina, and it tops out at about 22,800 and something feet, about 6,900 meters. And uh, I got within 700 feet, so about 200 meters, uh, and my lungs gave out <laughs> and uh, turned around, decided to be safe. So I had a little vendetta, uh, <laughs> and I wanted to do something challenging uh, this summer, so I climbed Mount Evans. It was 28 miles one way from a town called Idaho Springs, and it's a 7,000-foot continual climb over 28 miles. And you're starting from about 7,300 feet, 7,400, and going up to 14,200 feet. And for anyone interested, what I'll do is I'll post a few pictures, a couple snaps from the Strava. That uh, So it's, it's a one segment, 7,000 foot segment. So uh, it took me four hours to go up. Uh, I mentioned Lachlan Morton. I think he's got the record on it, the king of the mountain on Strava at just under two hours. <laughs> well, that, Lachlan, just, just so everyone knows, Lachlan Morton, is he still a pro? He was certainly a world tour professional. Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't follow him that close, but yeah. uh, you can follow him on Strava and uh, yeah. he's uh, training, you know, still training rides. So, yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, he's amazing. Yeah. So what what's that road like then? Is it is it is it twisty? Is it got lots of is it alpine with switchbacks or is it quite straight and straight? <laughs> uh yeah, there's some switchbacks. I forget how many are at the top. Uh and when you're getting up that high, you really lose in count. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah. uh there's there's probably maybe a good twenty or so uh steep ones up above uh, about eleven, twelve thousand feet. The first part of the road is wide and well-traveled, and there is a little um, like a uh, tourist store uh, park office at about 11,500 feet, and there's a big lake there. So I took one break there. And then from there, the road is closed, uh, partly due to COVID, and it hasn't been maintained. And of course, up that high, there's a lot of cracking up and yeah. a lot of potholes. And uh, some of the cracks are like four inches wide and a foot deep. So you have to really be careful coming down. Yeah. Um, but no traffic. So, uh, and there were as many mountain bikers going up because they could just fly down and not worry about the cracks. Mm. So um, going up, yeah, there there's some twists. I think the average um, grade was maybe between six to eight percent. And then up high, you know, certainly some spots at 15, 18 percent. Um, when I got above 12,000 feet, particularly around 13,000 feet, um, I started to have a phenomenon of complete exhaustion. 
and then so I would uh, sit down and get on the drops and just suck wind for about three minutes. And then I'd have a complete manic surge of energy. I've uh, really not maybe in competitive running, you experience that. Um, and so I'd stand up and pedal hard for about 20 seconds. <laughs> and then I was done. Yeah. And uh, so I just, I tried to main, I tried to level that out and maintain it and take advantage, but uh, I was able to do the last two hours without stopping. Um, one time I got a little startled because there was a mountain goat, a ram on the side of the road and I startled him. So he huffed and did a fake charge. And so I just said a little prayer and said, okay, take me out. <laughs> I can't fight you at this point. I was so tired. Um, but it really, it, it was the hardest ride I've ever done. And it really made a, um, you know, really made me dig deep down uh, deeper than I ever have because it was four hours of non-let up climbing. Yeah. And uh, so I'd never experienced that. But uh, just when I was ready to go another hour, I turned a corner and there was the parking lot. <laughs> so what, what was the view like from the top yeah it was amazing i'll post some pictures on the group and um so colorado is um there's some green with the alpine forests but generally it's pretty brown looking when you're up that high and looking out you know over the plains and uh so um there's another 14er peak uh, close to that peak. So there's some great views with valleys and the other peaks. And, uh, you know, it's just very rocky and, and pretty rough terrain. So it's amazing to have a road, uh, you know, that's very smooth and, and winding that goes up there. Yeah, amazing. Amazing. Well, when we, when we spoke earlier, Russ, I did say that I'm now, I have to go out there and, I, and I'm, I'm even more convinced that as soon as I can, I'm going to try and get out there and, and, uh, do that climb it sounds sounds fabulous i'm really envious that you've got that on your on yep. your on your doorstep so i think we have to say that's uh that's where we're gonna have gonna nominate our great place to ride this week um so yeah if you can if you can share your pictures and the route then we'll get that on the group and i'll also put it on the website as well so okay Get access yeah, to great. See how Would you like me to mention a couple other popular ones in the area, just real quickly? One. So uh, right near the same area that Mount Evans is, there's an annual ride again that was canceled uh, called the Triple Bypass. And uh, what it does, it goes about 115 miles from a town called Evergreen. And then it goes uh, over, I think it's Guanella Pass, and, uh, and then goes over, I uh, can't remember the name of the other pass, uh, but goes by some ski resorts. And then it goes up Vail Pass and ends up in Vail. And you end up climbing around 11,000 feet and ride about 115 miles in one day. Um, and for the experienced riders, they can do the double, by, the double triple bypass where you go up and back in one day. So climbing 20,000 feet in one day. So that's a, a very popular ride. Another popular area is uh, Telluride, which is in the uh, southwestern part of the state. 
And uh, that uh, is a big ski resort area as well, but there's a lot of condos you can stay in and campgrounds in the summer. Uh, I would recommend that, good rafting, hiking, other, other types of sports uh, to do as well. And maybe one, one more mention is there's a town near Vail called Leadville. It touts itself as the highest uh, town in the U.S., maybe in the world, at a, well, not in the world, but in the U.S. at about uh, close to 11,000 feet, 10, 10, 5. And if you ride out from there, you can go out to an area called Twin Lakes and over, uh, can't remember the name of the pass, forgive me, but over to Aspen. So you go over a 12,000 foot yeah. pass and go to the great ski resort area of, of Aspen. So those would be some areas that I would recommend people uh, do some rides in. Fantastic. And it sounds like there's a really good mixture of rides for more experienced road riders, but also for you know, people that are more recreational and just want to get out and go somewhere amazing on their, yeah. um, on their hybrids or their, or their mountain bikes as well, with less yeah. miles, but just spectacular. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a good resource for mountain bike and gravel uh, trails, but uh, I know there's some great riding out here. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic, fantastic, uh, Russ. Thanks for thanks for sharing that. Uh, what are your tips? And you've done some you've done some big climbs in your time. Then, so sh- what what if you're if you were advising people listening in who've not done any of these big climbs before? What's your what are your yeah. top tips about being able to 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 keep going and and get up to the top? Um, do some targeted training on breathing on expanding your uh, VO2, your volume. Um, And I do that uh, as much on the trainer in the winter um, as anything. Uh, One training um, routine that I shared with you, Norman, when we were preparing to climb Aconcagua uh, up at, you know, almost 7,000 meters was uh, two or three days a week. In addition to a lot of pack work, I was doing a 60 pound pack and doing hill repeats. Uh, and so I was doing about um, 40 miles on the ground with a pack a week, and then doing uh, three or four uh, bike trainers a week. And uh, something I was doing a couple of days a week was stand up pedaling for an hour and a half on the highest gear. And uh, that really trained me for the summit push. And it, really, and it translates into that last push up the steep you know, climbs. So uh, that, that's been a training that I do for my volume, my breathing volume. Um, when I'm out on the road, I've been, um, and I, I think your colleague put up a, a coaching tip about focus, visual focus on the road. And uh, I had replied to his thread that uh, I had noticed when I was getting tired that my eyes would shift I'd be riding, and in a second, I'd look at about a hundred different spots on the road, and uh, uh, you know, it's just not good. So I've been trying to focus, and I found that that really centered the breathing as well. Uh, that when I was shifting all around, I was breathing shallow and quickly. So breathing's been big, and then uh, in terms of riding form, I haven't had a formal uh, bike fitting. I definitely recommend it, mm. but uh, I've kind of you know, I've kind of dialed in my bike on my own from what I've seen on bike fitting technique, watching videos and things. Lowered the seat a little bit, for, pushed it forward a little bit. 
Um, and I'm finding I'm, uh, I've increased my times and efficiency on climbs by really uh, tucking in, uh, getting down on the, on the drop bars and um, getting a lot of power uh, on one big climb here. I knocked off five minutes on, you know, from 30 minutes to 25 minutes on that climb uh, just by doing that. And then just the last tip for me that's worked I was noticing that I was locking my ankles. And so I kept my ankle, my foot at a 90 degree angle rigid. And it really was working my thighs mm. too much. So I've really loosened my ankles a bit as I go through the cycle of the pedal and uh, trying to lift the heel a little bit more, uh, but relax and, uh, and let my calves take a little bit more of that tension and to, to pull and draw. Uh, and it's really made me faster, uh, more powerful, more watts, and more efficient. Okay, fantastic. Yeah, some really good, really good tips. And I would, I would add to that about just um, uh, keeping, trying to keep a steady rhythm the whole way and not, not I think a lot of people are tempted to push on early on um, and yeah. then pay for it at the end. So when you're doing these long rides like that, these long challenge rides, then very much steady at the beginning, hold hold back and um, keep spinning, keep the cadence high as well, setting an easier gear, don't try and push up, try and push up big gear. And then just mentally, it's not thinking about the finish point, but th just, just tick off mentally these little bits that you achieve each time when you've gone past five miles, 10 miles or you know, yeah. kilometers, any land, you know, landmarks, views then just 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 take that off and congratulate yourself for doing that don't think about the the the, the writing that's still done that's fantastic i'm going to share some some tips as well just from my from my weekend experience in the mud on the on the cross bike because um, i was i was there with it the, with the kids uh, it was yeah there was some significant mud that we that we went through and as i as i was going through i was kind of reminding myself what i'd been trained in the past about You've got to you got to spin. You've got to push hard on the pin. You've got to up the power. The thing about it, it's almost like a. You think about four by fours going through the mud. Is that you? You know, you put the accelerator down. You can try and keep in a straight line, and you yeah. force your way through it. It's the same on the bike. Sit back in the saddle, pedal harder, try and keep as much as you can on a in, in a straight line. And it's amazing what you can what you can get through without falling off. And that same applies to sand as well. I think a lot of people when they're on their bikes and they hit a bit of mud is they slam on the brakes, of course, or they, or they slow down. Um, and uh, and, and that, that's probably the worst thing you can do with things. If you see it, just get a straight line and just go through it and put a bit, bit, bit more effort into it as you as you go through it and you'll be you'll be fine. Um, Fabulous. Any other tips you want to share with us before we move on? Yeah, actually, just one. Uh, one I've been trying to do more um, is uh, particularly on long road rides is take take a break um, because I found that uh, for some reason I thought I needed to stay in that saddle for four hours straight without a break and uh, I'm having uh, and I was going to physical therapy for a little bit for a, a hip problem and the therapist I was telling you know therapist you know said I looked in good shape and asked me what I did and and she said why don't you take a break? <laughs> so she, she got me to take breaks and stretch a little bit. 
And uh, it's really made it much more enjoyable for me. And you know what? Um, I just put Strava on auto pause. And so I might be out for five hours for a four hour ride, but I feel better for it. So I'd encourage people to take a stretch break, relax. Uh, uh, Maybe I was trying to keep up with the young guys that can stay in the saddle for four hours, but uh, no, I'm much happier. Yeah, and you don't. You it, sometimes it just needs to be a few minutes, just stopping for a few minutes, having a you know having a quick snack or whatever, a very quick espresso or something like that. Making you know can work wonders for you. And I, yeah, I agree with the stretching. I, I spend a lot, even on the bike, I spend quite a bit of time stretching out my calves yeah. and and hamstrings yeah. and and um, yeah. Okay, great, great tips. Okay, so Russ, you've been looking at the group this week and looking at the posts and who's been riding and what what they've been saying and you've got a rider of the week that you'd like to nominate so yeah we'll all yeah absolutely um i hope he's on today but uh the writer i selected and very impressed with is gordon mcdonald and uh, you said he's from orkney yeah i looked before he's it looks like he's from the orkney, orkney islands in scotland which is it is up little group of islands right off the north coast of Scotland yeah okay yeah so uh, Gordon and I um, connected on Strava as well and follow each other and uh, very impressed he keeps a steady average of 150 to 200 miles a week and uh, I I do close to that in the summer but uh, I slack off in the winter so uh, he's been motivating me um, to to try to keep it up a little bit more. So, uh, yeah, I was very impressed with Gordon. A um, lot of de- dedication. So I recommend that you look up Gordon on Strava and, and follow him. So congratulations, Gordon McDonald. You, you are a writer of the week. So we'll be in touch to send the golden bidon to you. And I've not, never been to Orkney, uh, uh, but... Um, it is, it is quite, that's not hugely remote, but it's quite exposed. So it's going to be a very windy place. And I think in the winter, the, the, um, there's, there's gales coming off the Atlantic a lot of the time. Not not many trees to be seen. So I think getting out cycling in, in Orkney in the winter is going to be quite challenging. So I did see that Gordon has been doing a lot on Zwift, but um, if, if we'll look out, see if he manages to get out on the bike over the next day. Uh, the next few weeks and see what the see what the weather like is there. So fantastic. So what what are your riding plans for the rest of the week, Ross? Yeah. So uh, having done a little travel um, last week and being off the bike, um, and, and the weather here is closing in on us as well. So a little bit more time on uh, the trainer, but uh, I plan to do um, at least a hundred miles this last part of the week. My Strava week is Monday to Sunday, so I get a little. If I take Monday off, I can make up on the weekend. So I'll probably do three or four sessions on the trainer and uh, try to get one good long ride uh, outside if it's not uh, too windy and cold. We get our fair share of wind here. I was blown uh, over on the bike once, so I'm a little more timid. uh, And I'll stay inside if it's anything over 12, 15 miles an hour because we get gusts of winds, you know, up to 30 or 40. So. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, so yeah, I, I'm actually I'm I'm starting my winter training program this week. So shortly after this um, this webcast podcast, I'll be onto the Turbo Trainer and doing my first proper 
training session um, for a little while. I've, I've been out enjoying myself in the mud and um, and out in the road, so it's back into serious training for me as of as of as of tonight. So um, you can, if those of you are following me on Strava, have a look at that and. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, a quick question for you. Yeah. Um, in terms of winter training and for anyone out there is uh, something I struggle with. Um, I've done it and I always benefit from it is the um, b- uh, body weight training, the non-bike training or weight, some weight training. Um, and I would be interested to see a, a discussion or hear some tips uh, from you and your colleague uh, as far as that goes, because I feel like I could use, I don't go to a gym and I don't have a trainer, uh, but I feel I could use a little support to do that. I always feel better and stronger when I do do it, but it is just a uh, mental block. Uh, yeah. I just lazy. It, well, I, you, it's like most things you can get into the, it, you know, starting to do them is the difficult part. Once you've got the habit of doing them and into the discipline of doing yeah. them, it's, it's pretty easy. So I, I regularly do, and I, I just do them in 10 or 15 minutes, maybe four or five times a week. I've not been doing them for a few weeks. I'm going to get back into it this week. Is I just have a, a routine. So I'll do a plank. Um, I'll do some press-ups. I'll do not not sit-ups, but a kind of variation of sit-ups where you're kind yeah. of holding it, so kind of abdominal um, stuff. The variations on, on planks, do some squats, um, I've got some barbell weights, so I do some twists like that um, while lying on the ground, lifting my legs up. So there's a few extras. Yeah, I think that's a good, good, um, good, good question there. So yeah, well, next time I'm with Foggy, we'll 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 share some tips for improving core strength, improving your because that makes a big difference in the bike, as does flexibility. So you're talking about stretching yeah. there as well. You know, you don't have to be a gymnast, but you know. Yeah. In this group, we're all getting a bit older, so yeah. actually trying to stay as flexible as you can makes a big difference on the bike. It, you know, it helps avoid injuries, recover yeah. from injuries, and just makes it more pleasant on the bike as well. Uh, so, yeah, there, there's there's some quick tips, but we'll do some more of that in the future, Russ. Thanks for that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so I think that's us coming to a close now. So, thank you very much, Russ. Really enjoyed speaking to you this evening. Yeah. You Great too. To- thank you. Great to have had you here. Um, um, so thank you, everyone. Thank you for watching the webcast and, and listening to the podcast. If you're if you're listening to the podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review. We like to hear what you think, um, especially if they are good reviews. So that's it. Thanks, everyone. And we'll be back again next week. Bye. <laughs>